You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to the show. This is Eli Steenlidge, and with me is... Jeremy Holiday. And on this episode, we are talking about... Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Still reverbing? Okay. You know, we got it, yeah. And I'm using my new board, so we got some special effects from time to time. Yeah, it's our new thing. Yeah, totally cool. It's going to be a tradition. Yep. Uh, So, yes, the new Spider-Man animated film, Into the Spider-Verse. Which I think for a lot of people kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. Yeah. Um, this year, uh, well, I should say now in 2018, yeah. there had been some some previews about it, but I don't think we fully knew what it was going to be like mm-hmm. or how good it was going to be for the most part. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I personally had no idea it was going to be as good as it was. Mm-hmm. The one indication I had, though, like when I, when I saw the trailer for it, I think when I was watching um, Infinity War hmm. in the theater. Yeah. Um, there, like, I probably saw seven or eight trailers that day. Mm-hmm. Didn't remember any of them. Mm-hmm. But I saw Into the Spider-Verse. And the two things I thought about it were, that is a stupid title. <laughs> and it is a little silly, yeah. nothing happens in the trailer. Mm-hmm. It's just a really cool mm-hmm. visual thing. Yeah. And I thought about, when I thought about it, I was like, the film must be really good because they are <laughs> doing almost nothing to sell it for me, mm. and it has a terrible title. Mm. And it still looks good. Well, no, I still mean, want to see it. Well, no, I mean, it made me want to see it even more because mm-hmm. I was like, there. I mean, there's more going on, right? Yeah. If, if if they're confident enough in the quality of the film that they don't have to like in a world me about it, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, I would. It. it I mean. And what, I guess what I'm saying is like, it really stood out. Yeah. Um, and it also, um, because, it, because of the visual style of it, mm-hmm. that's essentially all I needed to see. And yeah. I was like, I want to watch that thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it was pretty far into the marketing, maybe even like third major trailer before yeah. I knew that there was going to be multiple spider people, yeah. spider persons, um, persons, that I just thought it was about that main Miles character, yeah. Miles Morales. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the ways I wanted to talk about it today is that it it did surprise us a little bit, and I think how groundbreaking the animation style is. Yeah. Maybe not completely like to say we've never seen any of these things, but in the way that it sort of goes against how most animated films look these days. Yeah and trying different things and also going back to embracing the comic book style of it. Yeah. There, I mean, the, one of the things that I, I mean, much of what will happen in the next hour is me gushing about how much I like this film. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But uh, one of the things that I'll say is like when I first started, the, one of the things I compare it to mm-hmm. when I, when I, I watched um, the Clone Wars television show, um, I had, I, there was something about, the style of those characters and those mm-hmm. droids in that world mm-hmm. that I felt worked so much better than the visual style of the actual prequels. Mm-hmm. To say, like, 
because many much of the droids were animated and because yeah. there's a lot of CGI, it made a lot of sense that the entire world was animated. Mm-hmm. And because I felt like it allowed um, what I think pr- probably George Lucas was going for to be sympathetic, uh, having a lot of control over what people looked like and, and, and the scenery and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it allowed that to make sense. Mm-hmm. In a way that the you know like the acting was so flat in the first three in most cases unfortunately, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but it just comes alive yeah. um, when you're just dealing with voice actors and that that and the style of Clone Wars is unique. Mm-hmm. There was it's it's CGI, mm-hmm. but it's not like super realistic CGI, right? And it, it has a very distinctive style. Just you know mm-hmm. in, in which characters are kind of lean. Um, uh, and lanky a little bit, right. very much like the characters we see primarily in um, Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a contact point for me, just broadly, yeah. would be at least like growing up in the U.S., me experiencing certain um, Japanese anime for the first time. Yeah. And I wouldn't say uh, there is an anime connection <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse, which is pretty fun uh, with one of the characters, but that's I'm not saying it's anime style. Yeah. Just that it was for me seeing that, oh, there are people experimenting with different kinds of animation. Right. And, you know, showing action and motion in different ways. Some touch points, I mean, just like personally for me, would be something like an old uh, like Captain Harlock where it's very like, stylized yeah um sort of space opera the characters are very stylized and look very cool they do have that thin aspect actually yeah uh which is not again a direct connection um and then a film like uh paprika um which maybe i've mentioned before and and really love but uh there's a few connections actually into the spider-verse but that like playing with sort of the meta-ness of it being animation yeah and um that film kind of dealt with like dreams and stuff but i think it lent itself to you can do whatever you want in animation yeah um, there i mean uh, so many things that i want to say so (laughs) many things um uh i'll start off by saying one of the connections that i kept thinking about and watching it is Mm. uh, when i first saw the movie tron Mm. um and one of the things that i love about tron is um you can take almost any it's about composition. Mm-hmm. You can take almost any frame of that film mm-hmm. and put it up on a wall, and it, it's a beautifully composed, proportionate shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the same is true with Into the Spider-Verse. I mean, you yeah. can take almost any film, a, any any still of that film, mm-hmm. and put it up on the wall, and, and it will be a beautiful piece of art. And, and yeah. I know from reading a bit about it on the internet that they have, I mean, they took a very long time, even from when, like, in, in post-production for animation, mm-hmm. like, b- between when they had almost everything done and they had the finished product and there's a lot of um, hand drawn touch ups mm-hmm. on almost all of the um, right. on Talking all the cells illustrated style yeah. and it and, and it shows I mean mm-hmm. it's one of those things that like uh, I, what I compare one thing I compare to for those of you that have, have played uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild on the Switch mm-hmm. I mean for the first like I don't know, 20 or 30 hours I played it, like, I was perfectly content just to, like, have Link walk through the high grass at sunset <laughs> because it's it, yeah. so phenomenally beautiful mm-hmm. in all its aspects. And right. the same was true with this film. Mm-hmm. Like, from the very beginning, um, like, there's so much... One of the ways I often evaluate films is, like I was talking about, is, like, this tableau standard. Like, mm-hmm. if you have a shot, like, even though things are moving through the shot like does do the basic parts of the shot form like a a satisfying tableau if you were to take Mm -hmm. a picture of it and every single bit of this film is that way and even like 
even like the half bits when like he's right. flipping up into the air. I mean, every single thing mm-hmm. looks fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I uh, read an interview with the directors. I think there's three that work together. They said that was one of their goals is like if you freeze frame any moment in this film, yeah. it's going to look like a panel in a comic book yeah. or something, like an illustrated um, piece of work, artwork. Uh, and I, yeah, I think they totally were successful. Yeah. And what I think, I mean, when, when I was, was reading about the process they were mm-hmm. going through, it just reminded me of like the, um, uh, the, the, the documentaries I've watched about like the making of uh, James and the Giant Peach mm-hmm. or uh, Nightmare Before Christmas mm-hmm. or even Kubo and the Two Strings, yeah. where there's just so much so many actual hours and actual so care, yeah, yeah. care put into it. Yeah. And I mean, I won't do this too much, but like to contrast that with Infinity War, which I absolutely <laughs> despised, even so, like even more now that I see what mm-hmm. a superhero film can be, mm-hmm. you know, it's like there's just no excuse for that yeah. jiggly I mean, purple mess. Yeah, I mean, I want to get more into just the difference in the narrative of this film yeah. compared to all of the Marvel Universe right. films we've seen so far. But kind of sticking with the style, um, for our listeners, I do want to point out some of uh, the specific elements that we're talking about yeah. as far as like the style um, while, we're, while we're mentioning it. I think for the most part, what they a way to explain it is that they did try to make it look um, like an illustrated comic book yeah. in a lot of ways and add elements. And it's it's this unique combination combination that we haven't seen before of like, I think the characters are mostly sort of CG yeah. um, looking. Um, they have that nice look to them, that sheen. But then they sort of put over it, like you mentioned, this sort of illustrated style. So yeah. um, I, I really enjoyed even when there wasn't a lot of action yeah. that you would see. I think like one time when he's in the graveyard, if you pay close attention, you can see like the shading is kind of done with like the cross-hatching style. Yeah. Like it's drawn. Um, we get the like um, dual tone, like two-tone colors yeah. separation. Um, like you might see in the like Lichtenstein paintings from like comics, yeah. where you see the dots. Um, I really enjoyed that. Like they had to kind of intentionally put those elements in yeah. um, to give it that feel. And I was just like infinitely fascinated to watch those pieces of it. Like yeah. I'm excited to see it again, just to like focus on those elements. Um, but from what I understood, they a lot of that they had to reinvent sort of the modern animation process and throw it out. And they, the directors also said one of their goals is like, if it looked like another animated film, they said, we're doing it wrong. Um, Like we need it to look different. And so a lot of the streamlined process, because now like all animated films and all studios make them are CG um, computer generated. And so they had to kind of step back and say, we're not going to use that technology um, to do this. We're going to do it a different way. And uh, a cool thing that I think people might see but not think about is I was reading, normally, um, for you film people out there, uh, traditional film is 24 frames. And so when they did hand-drawn animation, they'd have to do essentially that many drawings um, in a second. Technically, when they did hand-drawn ones, they would do a frame, like the same frame twice in a row. So it was actually kind of like half. 
but it uh, it still worked. So it was a little choppier than what we see yeah. in CG. And so they actually went and used that. And if you watch the film, it is a little bit jerkier movements yeah. than you're used to. That was something intentionally that they wanted to go back to, right? Um, to give it a different feel. Then things to look so smooth that you you kind of don't take the time to notice the uniqueness. Right, and, and I think there's there's some good old retro 8 or 16-bit graphics games. Yeah. This was a really big year for that. Celeste was a really big one. Dead Cells was another. And and, and certainly with with Breath of the Wild. Breath of the mm-hmm. Wild has a, a very stylized um, three-dimensional world. It, it is mm-hmm. not like hyper-detailed. Yeah. Um, but right. it is fantastically beautiful nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And I think that there, for a long time, you know, has, has been a push to make things look better and more realistic and have more vectors and make mm-hmm. everything. Um, but the the thing that I compare it to is like if you were to compare sort of like film with like daytime television, mm-hmm. um, th- th- there was a sense like even though we were able to get 60 frames per second or yeah, something yeah. really, really cool, it didn't look great. Right. Which is you know, not in particular a slight against daytime television. But like mm-hmm. um, for a long time, um, the, the, the quality of viewing experience from... Uh, something that was a little less smooth was more art- more artistic mm-hmm. um, and more pleasing, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that there's you know there's certainly well, I don't know I mean it, maybe we somehow discover through this film and around this time that mm-hmm. that there is you know I guess a time and a space a place mm-hmm. for that level of detail yeah um, but it is absolutely not required. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, I think one of the reasons why 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 this film reminds me of a lot of stop motion animation is because of like reduced frame rate. And 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 I don't I don't know if it's like nostalgia on my part, but it was because it was from the first second visually different. Mm-hmm. Like my eyes yeah. and brain were processing this thing differently. Mm-hmm. It was just you know like so rich and interesting, mm-hmm. like meeting someone that you've never met before. Yeah. Um, that that it was it seemed clearly and, and you know I'd be interested to see like what we think about it in ten years yeah but in, at this exact moment it was the exact thing that I thought should have been made yeah I mean I think there's some things happening sort of even subconsciously with like the love that they put into and the thinking they put into conveying it this way yeah and they actually said they varied those frame rates sometimes so when they did want him to like sort of explode in motion to do something, they would do it every single frame and mm-hmm. it looked very smooth. And then other times they would emphasize that sort of um, skip frames or double frames. Yeah. And they also said it gave it an effect that you're seeing the images for longer. Yeah. Um, and that also gives you the impression that you can like focus on them as a comic panel. Yeah. So like when he did, you know, there's certain action moments too, it's almost like more of a freeze frame than we're used to. Yeah. So they can emphasize kind of the cool like poses and stuff right. that yeah. you would see in comic books. Whereas, you know, in other animation, it's so fast that you don't get a chance right. to uh, and I mean, and, and, and I think like the, the, the last, I mean, one of the things that... that I don't know if it was Pixar innovated it, but like mm-hmm. so, once we have hyper realistic CG animation, you then have to add motion blur, right? Because right. it yep. looks too real. Mm-hmm. So you have to like imitate what the mind or brain or eyes would do if you were watching that thing happen right. in front of you. You know, mm-hmm. with, with the distance, variable distance from you to the thing. Yeah. Um, I just remember like one of my um, uh, film classes at the UW with um, Patrick Keating. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, he, I mean, it's a standard class, but he, I mean, he did a very good job of talking about like the various cues that you can use to create depth. And for mm-hmm. him, his big part was like it's a it's a two dimensional image, right? But we create the illusion that it's three dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it, you know, and so like there are various ways about varial diffusion and things in the foreground moving faster and things in the background. Yeah, that you know that those are the techniques that animation picks up on mm-hmm. to mimic you know the the, the picture of, of reality. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's there's just a, a way in which um, these tableaus and the way that is ma- manipulated in this film, um, there seems to be so much more attention paid to like the f- um, the full depth of field, mm. if you will. Yeah. That you know that like reminds me a little bit also of like mm. you know Hitchcock and yeah. you know and Orson Welles and these other films where you literally can it's so so much attention is paid to it that you can. You can take cut it in half, <laughs> right. and one half of it still has like a sufficient composition and attention mm-hmm. that it's worthwhile. And it just it just contrasts so highly for me with um, a lot of the previous Marvel movies, um, Infinity War in particular, yeah. but where they're taking a, a, something that comes out of a comic book mm-hmm. and adapting it to quote unquote real life because yeah, half of that stuff is like animated really, anyway. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see another approach where. You only pull it halfway out of the comic book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their goal is not to make it look photorealistic, right. or whatever. And I think there's a lot of advantages to um, the technology, though, even if they didn't use it in the traditional way. Yeah, um, because we get this sort of two D comic book feel to it, like illustrated. But yet, I think the characters, the way they're built, you know, traditionally with like CG is this like wireframe yeah. figure. And I think they're still doing that. Yeah. And it, so the characters have like a weight to them, I feel like, that yeah. was hard to get in traditional like hand drawn animation. Yeah. Um, unless you're really thoughtful about that. Yeah. I mean, there's clearly yeah. some, I mean, like the, the, the physics engine, mm-hmm. for, or, you know, more, it is good. Yeah. It's um, really and, and they, and they use it effectively. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. I remember, have you ever, have you ever read The uh, Amazing Adventures of Kevlar and Clay? I have, yeah. So there's the part in there after they go and see um, Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. you know, where when he's eventually working on sort of his magnum opus, and they're changing yeah. all the different things. <laughs> but I remember him, like, there's a point where they're talking about, like, I think he's talking about when he's writing the comic book about the golem, mm-hmm. like, like how he draws his feet yeah. to show, the like, how much he weighs. Mm. And, and, and in this film there's a lot of times where like what i remember is miles's spider feet or you know like yeah, yeah. like uh, so much attention paid to uh physically conveying the size and mass and weight mm-hmm. through these things where right. or i mean there's just like i mean I, I love the lord of the rings films but like when uh when like legolas flips on the side <laughs> of the horse well, you know, like yeah, uh, he's getting writing. I mean, yeah, he, he, he just you know, like there's a and that's ages ago, right? But like there's a, a weightlessness and ragdoll mm. quality that you know stretches the imagination. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that's the fact that it's integrating both live and, and CGI in a, mm-hmm. in a in a cool way, but you know, yeah. clumsy. Um, that if you deal with the world, if the world is entirely CG, mm-hmm. um, it's it seems like they can do a better job with it. Yeah, that's just how elves move, by the way. I know, I know, yeah. I know. I, I, I'm sorry, Peter. I didn't think about the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about, depth of field, too, some of that may have not been able to have the complexity that it does without yeah. the computer aspects to it, yeah. the CG. Um, so, again, they're, they're utilizing all their tools, but in unique new ways yeah. um, to really bring it to life. So if we move yeah. to narrative for a little bit, yeah. um, or if it makes sense to move yeah. to that part, uh, the 
to two openers I want to say, uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I often evaluate things by is what I would call like the Green Lantern Challenge. Because Green Lantern, traditionally mm-hmm. as uh, um, those of you that read the comic books, and I, I'm not like a super aficionado, but like yeah. the Green Lantern has like the lantern ring and anything right. that, that he or many, various members of the lantern, Green Lantern Corps can think they can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there have been uh, numerous runs of Green Lantern and many of them are mediocre at best <laughs> and certainly like a lot of adaptations of his character are often terrible mm-hmm. um, mainly because I think the authors can't handle that blank canvas yeah like what I mean because like I think it takes I, I think it honestly takes years <laughs> to come up with a good story that mm-hmm. involves some element of that infinity that infinite right. possibility um, watching this film however um, with its sprawling multiple verses mm-hmm. I was like this is about the best. I mean, they, they yeah. could they could do anything, mm-hmm. and the thing that they do is pretty darn great. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons uh, that I can say that um, is twofold. The first mm-hmm. of which is this film represents, to my mind, the same kind of meta change in comic books that like the what if comics do. Yeah, and that like there's a transitioning from one sort of age of comic books to another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a little bit before we get to graphic novels, but we start. You know, like we start thinking about multiple dimensions and mm-hmm. bigger heroes and what yeah. happens when people cross over and all this mm-hmm. sorts of other stuff. And you come up with cra- you know, like crazy stuff that I think, for those of you that read those comic books or stole your older brother's version of the comic <laughs> books, whatever the case may be, um, the, the, the sheer possibility of all these things becomes really, really cool. <clears throat> and I think that if, if we take all the Marvel films up to this point, they're sort of telling us stories about superheroes. Mm-hmm. And this is like, all right, what if, what if there are like seven different dimensions in which... Right. Uh, and the, the effect of it is that you get to tell very well in their case, like seven different Spider-Man stories. Mm-hmm. And, and they and do... origin the, stories. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. it's like seven different origin stories. And, yeah. um, and like, I, like I, I don't think I've ever seen a better multiple dimension quasi time mm-hmm. traveling adventure that I like or think is done as well as <laughs> this one. Um, it, it's also like amazingly efficient storytelling. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they're very, they're like, you know, okay, so here's how the story starts. And they, and, and they do mm-hmm. a balance of both recapitulating that it is still Spider-Man story, but that it is also a different Spider-Man story. Mm-hmm. And it also, um, the other thing that, that allows you to do, I think is, also, from a standpoint, if we if we look at the Last Jedi for a moment, mm-hmm. um, and recognize that Russian bots are, are part of the reason why some people are grumpy about right, it, right? Um, it is a great film, yeah. Is it, yeah, and I also recognize, I mean, and also recognize that my one of the things I said when we um, talked to Annalise was that um, the truth is that like we get Luke that's established the Jedi Academy in those novels, and we mm-hmm. also get grumpy old Luke that exists in this film. Like they, yeah. they literally both exist, and they're mm-hmm. they're different. They're different tellings of a particular story. Yeah, and I haven't ever seen that in one film. Mm. Right, it's like having Spider Man and the Amazing Spider Man in the mm-hmm. same film. Yeah, um, and you know, or like various, you know, like uh, you know, Captain America and you know, Captain. I don't know. So there's <laughs> other versions of Captain America. <laughs> Um, in the same film, and and they don't just do two, they just do. I mean, there's yeah. and and they do so many mm-hmm. um, that I think that it's it, in some like it just blew my mind. The, yeah. the, the long and short of it is, it blew my mind, um, and I also think that it was the first time I, I saw someone in in this Marvel universe. It's not the MCU. It's 
yeah, whatever this is, right. like fully sit down and accept the responsibility of 40 or 50 years of Spider-Man stories, mm-hmm. right? I mean, for me, like there's a, there's a lot of DC comics that I like and also Marvel ones done by a man named Alex Ross. Uh, Paul mm-hmm. Dini does a lot of the writing for them. And they're definitely, I mean, like uh, Alex Ross does sort of hyper-realistic things and they're yeah. really interesting, but they're they're all sort of different tales about like the kingdom come is about tales about like what happens in these big DC superheroes are really, really old. Mm-hmm. Right. And, right. And, and it's like, and they never, they don't exist in parallel to the other stories. They exist mm-hmm. in sort of separate little tellings of them. Yeah. Um, into the Spider-Verse is the first film I've ever seen or the first narrative story I've ever really seen that decided to integrate all of those all characters into one story. Like yeah. the, the, the Peter B. Parker character. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, I mean, he's sort of like, uh, similar to uh, the version of, of Spider-Man that shows up in, in Marvels, which is a book that Alex Ross did. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly like that concept, that that idea is in um, is present in in, in, the Spider-Man, in the Spider-Man story itself. The implication, like what mm-hmm. happens afterwards. Later, yeah. And like the idea, I mean, the what I liked most about the narrative is is first of all, that they included all these different what-ifs on a very wide palette Mm-hmm. Peter Porker, Penny Parker, <laughs> Spider-Man Noir, yeah, um, and had those things had had that as a concept mm-hmm. come together in a story that was entertaining, right, and and, still and fun, was yeah. not filled with holes mm-hmm. and was enjoyable from beginning to end, yeah, um, th- yeah. I mean, I think this film, in some ways, for for how much I've heard people say like this is the best Spider-Man film, like why couldn't have we had it? Uh, a Spider-Man film this good before I tell this story. But I think in some ways it it's benefited from us knowing so many Spider-Man oh, stories and right. narratives. And so it plays with that in sort of this meta way. Like yeah. we get acknowledgement of the Sam Raimi films right away. Right. With the real Peter Parker. Uh, yeah. Like those happened. Yeah. And then, um, and then we don't quite get maybe acknowledgement of the other versions, but... There are different, there's Spider, or Peter B. Parker, and um, so we get these different versions, so it's still playing with our concept of that. And I like that it's playing with origin stories, because we're so used to that with the MCU now. Yeah. Like, we've watched so many origin stories, and so they just, like, breeze through those. Um, But we still get this emotional weight. Um, And in a similar way, we get... Than what the Last Jedi did, yeah. going back to that, is it kind of opened up the force to everyone. Yeah, that it's possible. This sort of this film kind of says like, well, anybody could be behind that mask, right. um, but it is hard. You still have to go through trials, and it's tough. Yeah, um, and I'm not sure what I totally think of it as a plot point exactly, but they all were sort of like, well, we have we all lost somebody. And I think that was meant to be more like that's what being a hero is, like standing up for that, is that you were going to lose people. Um, But they have this sort of shared experience to do what they're doing. Well, okay, yeah. And there's just – so like um, when they like meet each other and their Mm -hmm. spider sense goes off, that is fucking genius. Yeah. I mean, like, and the way it's visualized, the way the it's lines, visualized, yeah. the way it happens in the story, the mm-hmm. voice acting around it. Yeah, I mean, like, that is one of the most like interesting and emotionally evocative things I have seen in a super film, superhero film, anywhere. Yeah, and and, and like, it, it it is honestly the thing that I think that 
in our world, mm-hmm. what superhero stories and comic books do. Like, mm, w- like yeah. it, it's the feeling that like when I am at an airport and I see <laughs> someone yeah, as a yeah. black man with a, a scout regimen t-shirt on from <laughs> you know Attack on Titan, and I look at him and go, "I like your t-shirt." And he's like, "Yeah, man." Yeah. Like get, the bond yeah. that we have, like, mm-hmm. and so like that's the thing that, that they do there. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're like me. Yeah. Like there, I mean, it's and for and again for like that to be for that deeply honest emotion to be in a fantastical film about mm-hmm. multiple you know like and like and like buildings shooting out of I mean yeah. it's just fantastic mm-hmm. um, the other thing is um, I, I don't know exactly who is responsible for the creation of Miles Morales as the character I know mm-hmm. that Jason Reynolds did a lot of writing at various points where I don't know mm-hmm. if he's the origin of that character mm-hmm. um, he's a fantastic character yeah um, and we're reading the like uh, the the chapter book okay. uh, uh, here at home because we like fell in love with the character in the mm. movie, mm-hmm. um, and we and we've like I think we actually read some like kids books that included him in it. Okay. Um, and Jason Reynolds also wrote a series of books, the first of which is called Ghost, about like uh, young black people running track. Mm. Which uh, I think the the second one is isn't as great. Sorry, but the first one is great, <laughs> really and we listen we listen to it as family on a as an audio book, and we sort of he's a great, really great writer. I think he writes all kinds of stuff. Mm. Um, but Miles Morales is a very compelling character, mm-hmm. and I think like the he is is a really fresh, interesting take on Spider Man, and yeah. I honestly identify like he does it for me more than. Um, uh, what's Peter, his name? Peter Parker. Well, yeah, Trump. I mean Peter Parker, but um, Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. and you know, it's Tobey Maguire is fine. Yeah, but like, you know, and like, if, if I look, just look at the way that like Miles is characterized, like mm-hmm. he, he like he keeps like how he chills out, yeah, like from being stuck on things, is to like kind of like sing along the songs, mm-hmm. like that. That's a great moment when he has to learn to like calm down. Yeah, and he uses that method. Yeah, right, and, and and to, and to be in a place where. You know, because there's the parts too in, in, in the Tobey Maguire films when like mm-hmm. he gets stuck to the ceiling or whatever, mm-hmm. and it just feels it doesn't resonate the way yeah. Miles as a character does. Because mm-hmm. it's also like Miles's family mm-hmm. um, and Miles's world mm-hmm. is complex, mm-hmm. and and certainly yeah. like the I mean in the in the in the um, in the in the novel mm-hmm. like it's. It's even for like a higher age kind mm. of than the. It's really complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think for this is the second film I've seen this year, mm-hmm. which I think is okay that it does the same thing, but it's pretty amazing that um, also in the hate you give, yeah. they have this similar aspect of um, uh, a teenager who is going to this other school out of their yeah. normal um, community. Um, to sort of get a better education and stuff, but they both portray the sort of code switching that has to happen yeah. um, between their different communities. And we get even more here because uh, his parents are different races. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it's a very multicultural um, community. But I think to be able to portray that and have like both have two parents at home yeah. in both of these films, um, and they both make the point to the parents say like we're gonna stay in this community yes we know we could probably have like maybe an easier better life somewhere else but like we are taking on the responsibility to say like 
we can be a part of making this community better. Yeah. Um, and it's important that we stay here. Uh, and I think that's like a message you never see, um, or like a portrayal yeah. um, in those, in those neighborhoods. And, uh, is pretty great to and see and like and, and there's even more emphasized in the book there's a, mm-hmm. like miles gets in trouble and his dad it, like has him clean up a bunch of stuff you know <laughs> which is i think like mimicked it it, it makes its way into the movie because he like his dad wants oh, him to go a, clean up the stickers the stickers yeah. yeah um it's just like for all of the talk in like the batman films about how like bruce wayne is gonna save his city mm-hmm and the talk in Peter in in the early Spider-Man's uh, about how like he's got to take care of people, you know, he's got that mm, responsibility. Yeah. It never works as well as it does mm-hmm. as in as as in the character of Miles Morales in this film. Yeah, because I mean, it really like because that that world that he's inhabited and the things that are going on, the big crimes, the petty crimes, mm-hmm. all these things. That's the world that feels like the world that I see. Mm-hmm. That feels like this yeah, world, yeah, right? Not right. like some fantastical 1950s superhero <laughs> world right but like and again it's also the world that exists i think um also in, in films like logan logan mm-hmm. is, i mean it's not there's a, a little too much blood flying all over the place yeah um but that is a messy complicated world, world that, that yeah. feels similar to mine mm-hmm. and and i think that um and it, it's something that like in reading comic books when i have they have felt realer to me than the cinematic ones, mm. oftentimes because mm-hmm. of the like the world around the superheroes. Right. Um, and again, like I mean, I would take like the, the world of the Agents of Shield because of the more you know complex things that mm. are going on and mm-hmm. grittier in various places and sadder because you know, Shield falls. Yeah, yeah. BT dubs. Yeah. Um, that it, it it felt more resonant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, and in I don't know what that means, but mm. there's a sense that like, it felt liberating liberating and exciting mm-hmm. you know like there you know, and, and i think and, and i wonder how much that comes from jason reynolds conception mm. of miles morales's character yeah. um because yeah. it's i mean in some sense it's like a fresh take on superman mm-hmm. i mean spider-man but it's also like i mean who is spider-man spider-man is like a kid in an area yeah you know who like it isn't like ends up trying to like take care of his neighborhood mm-hmm um, yeah. you know, and I think the this characterization of Spider-Man uh, brings a lot of energy because of who he is to the film. Yeah, if you think back to the other portrayals, like it's just a more it's more fun to watch anything that he does. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I just love a lot of the elements that they bring to this film, like the the stickers that he's putting on things is like things people actually do um, yeah. to uh, cheaply, you know. Uh, get their artwork out there yeah. and, and be able to experience that. And uh, doing like graffiti and stuff as an art form, yeah. I think is cool to see um, in that legitimate way. Uh, and little jokes thrown in there, knowing about like Banksy and stuff um, yeah. were pretty fun. But yeah, I mean, I think going back to like the narrative and what they put into it, yeah. compared to like the MCU and characters like there's just a lot more care giving to who these characters are yeah. like and even for an animated film um i think the original peter parker towards the beginning like when they're in the at the like reactor thing yeah. and he's like trying to take care of it and he just like he's like yeah you know i'll do what i need to do like i'll take care of it. and then he's like i'm really tired 
Like, yeah. just little things with, like, that thrown in there that, like, what? Who is this character? Like, right. oh, this is, like, a real person. He's not just, like, right. superhero that we're throwing around. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's there's just the sense, too, that um, in, in so many of the other MCU films, as fun as they are, mm-hmm. um, the characters are... They just, they just feel to me so much like it's a... A weird American 1950s character. Yeah, I mean, he, the, Tobey Maguire, Peter Parker is like, well, gosh, MJ, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> yeah. you know, and like they're they're they're, it it just feels like, you know, and and part of the reason why I like Captain America in the films is he's he's very explicitly that person, mm. and so they like make fun yeah, of yeah, it, yeah. and it's yeah, sort right. of it's silly. True. Um, and and you have I think in the in the first Avengers, mm-hmm. like Hulk ends up being a little bit, tries to ground people in mm-hmm. reality, right. Um, you know, and like uh, Tony Stark is like Val Kilmer in Real Genius. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but it it's still it's still somehow grounded in mm-hmm. in an unreal place. Yeah. Um, that again, from the mo- the even though Miles Morales says New York is kind of futury a little mm-hmm. bit, right. um, it feels mm-hmm. uh, much more like this world. Yeah. Um, and I think if I, you know, from my like perspective about heroes and archetypes, mm-hmm. like the hero starts in our world, encounters an unsolvable problem in our world, and undertakes a great journey mm-hmm. to do a variety of other things, testing themselves, gaining friends, yeah. gaining guides, equipment to defeat a final challenge, and then come back to the same place that they were mm-hmm. and be able to change our world. Yeah. Right, but it's ultimately, and I think that's where heroes come from. Mm-hmm. They come from us encountering insurmountable problems in our world, mm-hmm. um, and to not have them grounded in that, yeah, uh, makes them interesting stories. But it, they don't have the kind of power mm-hmm. that they need to. And I, and I think that I, I also like in this story very much um, uh, that uh, Kingpin's motivations are very singular. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that and personal, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, they do, and, and I think that's the way that character. I mean, he gets portrayed a variety of different ways, kind mm-hmm. of silly, but I, I think the best portrayal of him. I mean, he wants to be. He's a damaged child, right? Um, and he wants, uh, and he can't handle the the monster that he is. He wants to, you mm-hmm. know, almost like the Godfather. Yeah, um, but worse. And I would say my only sort of, um, like you said, there's going to be a lot of praise on this episode for this, right? And my only. Um, the only downside I sort of saw was it, it felt a little bit like it was falling under the same problem a lot of modern superhero action films have. Mm-hmm. The ending was quite chaotic in that battle. Yeah. Like, they sort of uh, solve the problem for all the, the spider persons from the different dimensions. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, but now you got to face Kingpin. And, I mean, that's, like, classic. There's, like, the final boss or whatever. But it felt a little bit like... Okay, things like are flying around through this whole sequence, and it like became a little too much for me. Mm. Um, could have been clear, but what I did like about that final thing is uh, Kingpin's on this train. They end up on the train, yeah, um, car, and his it, it starts to work. What his goal is, his family starts to show up, his wife and child, and he's sort of starting to get what he wants, but he realizes. He's in the same situation why his wife and child turned off from him yeah. originally. He's like back reliving that. 
in that moment. Um, and I just thought that was really poignant in a lot of yeah. ways um, yeah. about saying who he was in a, in a shorthand. Like, otherwise he comes across as a very just, like, straightforward, horrible boss yeah. person. Um, but in that moment, um, it just kind of showed the sort of cycle um, that people get stuck in or the trap right. when you continue to live your life that way that you can't get. Yeah. Eventually it's going to catch up with you in that way, mm-hmm. um, the way that you act. And, and I think that goes back to the choice of what Miles has to make. Or, or you know, and also Peter B. Parker um, is, like, what kind of person am I going to be mm-hmm. um, as this year? Like, again, you have the power, you have responsibility. But I think they end up giving it a little bit different um, angle in this film than, like, the original. Yeah, and I mean, uh, on the issue of responsibility, I mean, yeah. I think that, like, I don't know from whence Mm -hmm. the interaction between Peter B. Parker and Miles in which Miles says, you know, with great power comes great. And Peter B. Parker says, don't you dare. (laughs) Like, but that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it also represents a number of things to me. One, I would suspect that either that was some nugget that someone had in their head for a long time and found a place for it. (laughs) Or they spent a lot of time workshopping and editing to come up with that dialogue. Mm -hmm. Because it's great. Yeah. One of the things that's great is, like, we don't even have to... We know that phrase. Right. Right? So if we all know that, you don't have to say it. So mm-hmm. you can do something else with it. Yeah. Right? And I think that, that part of the problem with, uh, like, the traditional pre-Spider-Verse superhero films mm-hmm. is that they're too busy doing the thing for us. Right. Like, you got to know that with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. But this movie is like, okay, you know, like, again, like, yeah, you know all that stuff. Yeah. Um, let's have fun with it. Right. Um, and I think that uh, that was great. I mean, with with, with Kingpin, mm-hmm. like, I... I I I like the ending. You know, I mean, it was some. Pardon me. It was somewhat formulaic, of course. Yeah. Like I don't. I mean, it wasn't super innovative in that way. But I mean, I do think that like it 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 it, it made a lot of sense, mm. right? That like ultimately, as much as Fisk tries to do something else, he hasn't changed what he's doing, mm-hmm. right? And and, yeah. and that he would make the same, be in the same situation. It also makes him sympathetic and tragic. Mm-hmm. Um. Which, in general, I think is an important part of any villain. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean, one of my favorite, like, superhero villain pairs is un- in Unbreakable, mm-hmm. um, in which... Because because in that film, both Bruce Willis's character, whose name I never remember, um, and Mr. Glass... Mm-hmm. Like, Mr. I mean, like, Bruce Willis is somewhat responsible for all of the destruction that he causes. Yeah. Because Mr. Glass is just trying to find someone who's like him mm-hmm. and does all these things to try to come across him with the idea that if there's someone that's as breakable as him, there must be someone who is unbreakable. Right. And it makes... He's, he's evil. Sh- I mean, he does evil things, but, like, at its heart, there is some good motivation, which just comes from this adage that... Or, goes along with this adage that mm-hmm. people are almost always heroes in their own story. Yeah. Um, and yeah. To, to, to conceive of some manner of... I mean, and these are supervillains, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they, have to, they have to be some manner of appropriate archetype where it just doesn't right. Right. work. Yeah. Um, I also think that because Fisk is used sparingly, mm-hmm. it, it has a lot to do with his success. Yeah. Because I think yep. that um, like if we look at um, this character in Daredevil... He's good in little bits, but <laughs> yeah. when he's on there too long, he just 
the character is not complex enough mm. to handle a whole lot of screen time. Yeah. I mean, what his powers are. He's very clever. He takes advantage of people, and he's super strong. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things my son said to me is, well, how is it that, that like the super big two-arm smash kills yeah. Peter Parker but doesn't kill Miles? Mm-hmm. Um, and is honestly one of the kind of this the kind of thing that I would generally say about a film. Yeah. However, I I like I'm like Miles is just tougher, right? You know, like or he is, I mean, like it, yeah. it, like I think I don't think it was like unintentional. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it when when it happens, it's one of those things. You're like, oh, like Miles ain't no regular Spider Man. Yeah. And it also mm-hmm. like I mean I do think that that the way Miles beats Fisk. Um, is by unlocking some of his hidden potential, yeah. which is always a great way to handle that last boss fight. Right, right. Yeah. Whether you do a double backflip over right, right. his uh, yeah, yeah. flying thing, is it? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, either you have the bad guy destroy himself, which he does, yeah. um, or you you unlock some previously unknown power, mm-hmm. which like like which happens in a very funny way at the end of the movie Pacific Rim, which is a fantastic <laughs> film. But it turns out that these robots have swords, right? Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and we haven't used them previously. Right. Um, but it's what allows them to cut that off, like, anyway. Yeah, I've been watching the How to Train Your Dragon films. Oh, yeah. Suspicion the new one. And, then, uh, and both of those have, like, a, oh, he can also do this. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you stroke it back in this way, he can shoot, like, supersonic purple fire. Right, yeah. That trailer made me cry. The third one? Yeah. I was like, yeah, oh. I know. Very good. Um... And also, we'll have to talk about Glass coming out soon. Yeah. By the way. Uh, I was going to mention, there are elements in this, because it is so complex, yeah. um, that you could certainly nitpick story elements, yeah. but I, I didn't feel like the need to do that at all um, no. in this. And I think it is because of how efficiently the story is told and the acknowledgement of certain elements. I love that they had said, like, this um, little hard drive that has, like, the key to destroying this machine so tiny and just like you just plug it in like a normal usb mm-hmm. drive just pull back this panel but the, you know they just end up calling like oh a goober yeah 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 it's just like it's just like a thing you always have a thing <laughs> right you like stop the machine with right like and then you know like they never really explain it i mean they get like a computer with the information but they're like now we have it the key right and so um it's like the MacGuffin, the classic like there's always a thing we gotta get yeah and do it um so i think story elements like that that just like need to happen and uh yeah and a lot of it just plays out um with a lot of fun action um, well i mean yeah. I, I think it for me it, it emphasizes something which i think almost all the other superhero films missed mm-hmm. they're like it's not about the thing right you know, right. I mean, like it's yep. not about how cool the the yeah. goober is. I mean, it's about how the you get there. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Um, and, and that's what I, I think. Like, um, if if I could be permitted to say such a thing, I mean, there's a way in which like um, the superhero films mm-hmm. have become like a or represent like an amalgamation of like hero stories and also like sci-fi mm-hmm. and it has that yeah. sci-fi bit about exposition and look at this cool guy and here's some cool aliens and all mm-hmm. this other stuff uh, along with these deeper archetypical stories about heroes on journeys and identity and whatnot mm-hmm. um and i think it, it it's a little too much sometimes yeah. um and and i like how it was it was just so refreshing 
in, in, to, to see the focus be on this person and their journey and their relationships and the challenges and all the and the way in which these different elements of Peter mm-hmm. represented all the different tellings of uh, many different tellings of Spider-Man and different possibilities for himself and Miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and like as I've said before, when we talked about um, Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, like there's this principle that existed in like ancient Indian. Um, uh, theatrical business that like a, a good story contains all of the modes yeah. between like erotic and disgusting and beautiful <laughs> and heroic and all these different things and so there's something and because the, the argument historically in, in that context mm-hmm. is that it's it's satisfying you satisfy mm-hmm. all of the hungers yeah, yeah. like a, like a good meal right right, right yeah. and there's just there's an element of that in with inclusion of Peter Porker and Penny <laughs> right, Parker yeah, yeah. that like I and these are modes and tropes that are are from other kinds of comics other kinds of movies mm-hmm. and it's it, it finds it i find it satisfying you know mm-hmm. i laughed i cried yeah. um in the film in a way that like you know if i watch infinity war like what's the emotion i'm supposed to have yeah like oh like yeah. or like whoa the whole time right um or some sort of like low grade mm-hmm. you know stimulation or awe yeah um there's much clearer points in the film. Like, yeah. I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm laughing, I'm crying. And we haven't talked a lot about those other um, Spider-Mans, Spider-People. Spider-Folks. Um, but I think they are really fun, and it manages to kind of give us just enough taste of them um, that we sort of want more. Like, right. what I loved about it is, like, I could virtually watch... A movie about each of those characters I felt like yeah um, well that and, would be really fun and Eli I'm putting my yeah. hand on your shoulder for the um uh, the listening audience yeah. there is uh, something about that mm-hmm. that makes me so excited in my soul <laughs> and and that is the following yeah like at some point in the in the conception of this film or the production mm-hmm. of this film I am certain that there were plenty of people that talked about how this could be multiple films in multiple mm-hmm. parts, yeah. stretched out and turned into an entire like franchise worth mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. And somebody else or some other group of people, God bless your souls, <laughs> said, no mm-hmm. wait, let us pack as much good shit into one film as it can possibly hold mm-hmm. and make that film. Right. And and honestly, like when I look at like the 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 meta management of like the MCU and mm-hmm. even other franchises at this time, I have not seen something like this in a long time. Yeah. Where and they just poured talent and art and love and story after story after story yeah. into the same film. Right. And I and what I love about a film like this, which I don't think we see in America a lot, a US made film, is like they just went for it and they're like, We're gonna make Spider Gwen awesome. We're gonna make <laughs> Spider Man Noir awesome. Like yeah. we're gonna design them differently. Yeah. Um, and they're gonna look cool and we're not gonna worry about like it fitting into this certain box, you know? Yeah. Um, and that they went for like the anime version. I don't remember yeah, I know she's Penny Parker. Did she have like a Spider Man name, Spider Woman name? I don't remember. I don't know. I, I, I mean, because robotic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean th- that she is portrayed in anime style, right? Um, too, and I think all of those were 
not maybe easy choices to make on a sort of Hollywood film like that. Yeah. Um, that they really went for it. And in some of it again they comment they have commentary on yeah. the fact that uh, Spider Man Noir is still in black and white and yeah. um Peter Porker says something about do they know like animals talk in this universe yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> things like that so like funny things to make it work like the questions that you might have yeah. um also like fun casting that um spider-man noir is nicholas cage yeah um uh just like really smart choices yeah that they're making. um and i mean i'm playing um with my i got my youngest son uh lego marvel's like Legos, Mar- Mar- Marvel, like Lego superhero Marvels too. Okay. Or some oh, yeah. some combination of those words mm-hmm. in an appropriate order, <laughs> um, which is has a lot of stuff from the Spider Verse in there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like Kang takes over New York and creates a Chronopolis, which has like <laughs> it's like New York and old New York and Nuevo York and mm. the future and Hala and Asgard <laughs> and the Old West wow. um, and Kunlun from <laughs> Iron Fist and and like. Manhattan noir so mm. like and, and so it's like the sprawling world yeah um but it, it I mean and it's really fun to like go and, mm. and like Spider-Man noir is in there and it's really fun to go into huh. these places and these characters in this video game which yeah. we have a lot of fun with um uh, you know I mean it shows me that like they've coming up with these different conceptions for a long time because it mm. makes these other places um uh, about your comment about like going for it yeah I mean there's I mean, part of what I would say to that is like I'm also so excited that they just like took the film as a concept and went for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's some level of looseness and freedom mm-hmm. that they seem to have had to have done at the beginning to be able mm-hmm. to include all these things because the film is not campy. No. Um, and you know it, it it maintains seriousness and a mix of a whole lot of things. Um, you know, and, and feels at some points like Ghost in the Shell. You know, it has these mm-hmm. echoes of like complex seriousness, right? Um, that you know, it's like especially like when he when he's fighting with his uncle, mm-hmm. and there's like these, you know, and that's some of what I mean by like go for it. I think like yeah. I've always said in the U.S. we don't get like serious animation for sci-fi yeah. or fantasy yeah. um, the way that they do in Japan. Yeah. Like it's just I think not seen as economical here that yeah. it's going to sell, um, which I think maybe they have a point. Sometimes it has. Yeah. But yeah. Like, no. 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 But usually I, mean, I think it's sort of like half done, and certainly this is aimed at kids at some level, but there yeah. are definitely serious elements to it. I think. Um, obviously that adults can enjoy and yeah. appreciate aimed at all those levels. So, uh, I mean, I, um, I am heartened that hopefully this, this means that Hollywood sees like, Oh, there is an audience for, um, serious animation that yeah. tries new things and goes to new places. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of the, um, the Hollywood approach to this, weirdo geek genre of things yeah. is like that's cool like let's make a live action or real version of it mm-hmm. starting with the I mean yeah. starting somewhere around the Dolph Lundgren Punisher <laughs> um, which is terrible though I do have like deep love in my heart for the original Conan films mm. um, though they're adapted from I mean and I don't know if they're I mean I know they're adapted from his stories I don't mm-hmm. know if they're adapted from I assume the comic books were before the movies in there and I, I never read yeah, the comic books sure. but um, uh, it's you know I love them. They're not <laughs> particularly good, um, but like the 
like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger cuts a grand Conan figure. Yeah, if there yeah. ever was there one. Was a, yeah, it's true. Um, so it seems like we've wrapped up. There, there is, or should we wrap up soon? The, the one yeah. thing, um, I remember reading an article uh, after Dead, the first Deadpool movie came mm. out. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, the, the general theme of the comment, of the comments were like, this is really great, but we don't need to make every film like this. It is really awesome, to be but like, let's, and snarky and, right, yeah. let's not have everything be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and in some sense, I would like to say something similar about this film, mm-hmm. but not really. Because <laughs> I, I think that if every film were this good yeah. um, and done in this style, it would be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it can't be the exact same film because it, it would then be derivative. But right. I think that there's... Like if you and I don't know how much you follow games and I haven't played it, but like the mm-hmm. the art style of a game for the Switch called Octopath Traveler. So mm-hmm. it, it's essentially like a sixteen bit sprites in a three dimensional world. So mm-hmm. like those sixteen bit sprites have three dimensional space. And okay. I haven't played the game, but I've watched it a lot. Yeah. Um. And so it's it's a combination, or also or a game like Celeste, which is essentially like eight bit sprites, mm-hmm. but that that moves in like a like a. a a modern world like it doesn't oh, okay. it, it, it doesn't like there's shading and scaling and mm-hmm. rotation and all these I sorts see. of things in a way that an actual 8-bit console wouldn't have, didn't have yeah. um but there's a way in which the mixing these different stylized uh art forms mm-hmm. uh to great effect that like i hope that that hap- like continues yeah. to happen um because there's just a way uh, i'll say two things one um into the spider-verse does this multiplicity of things mm-hmm. in a way that like something like ready player one tries to mm. but doesn't yeah it's like oh it's a mishmash of everything I'm like no it's like a mishmash of a couple things right mm-hmm. and cool he's a gundam but like <laughs> you know Why? yeah yeah you know i mean it just it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a true multitude of like infinite multitude of possibilities yeah like they could really have fun with it yeah do whatever they want yeah um I always forget the second thing when I say two things, Eli. What was it? Well, Go ahead. I'm not sure. Well, I was going to bring up, um, I don't know how you felt about the first Sin City film, um, but I wonder if that could be sort of like a um, case study for like this film, which I've thought of the same thing when uh-huh. you said that. Like, well, I was like, well, how many films would I like to see in this style? But I think it's more for me the idea that, okay, maybe it's freed people up to say, we don't have to do the regular CG yeah. thing anymore. Um, so it, it wouldn't look exactly like this. But I I don't know that I like love the original Sin City film as a film in of itself. But I think I was very fascinated by it when it came out and thought yeah, it looked I mean, very cool it, yeah. and did some great things. And the, the second one took a long time to come out. I don't know if I would say it's a full decade later i'm not sure but um did not do well at all at the box office critics didn't like i forgot it. that there was one and there might be that. other reasons i don't think i've seen the full second one but i just wonder <laughs> if like what was the difference in that time period that oh well, how like, do we change yeah how do we like um we're used to that style now yeah um so much that it's not novel yeah um and maybe it didn't do something new with it in the second yeah. one the way that maybe it should, but uh, I could see a, a, sing, a similar comparison. Um, like you said, if if people are trying to do all the same right. thing now, there, yeah. there there is this. I mean, 
about the inclusion of multiple animation styles or tropes mm-hmm. yeah. in the film. One of the things that it reminds me of is like, it feels very modern, mm-hmm. almost. I mean, yeah. almost cyberpunky, mm-hmm. um, in that like, the world that is like commercial YouTubers or YouTubers, mm-hmm. like they they exist in 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 a, in a world of commentary that recognize that we are consumers of media and we consume a whole lot of things, mm-hmm. and they come up with all kinds of crazy. You know, Minecraft, Hot Wheels, Pancake <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mashup, Star Wars stuff mm-hmm. um, that's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, there's a way in which Into the Spider-Verse addresses us as as we are, as viewers of a variety of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I, I mean, like particularly that, yeah. as, as, as parents of children, mm-hmm. we watch adult things and kid things and superhero things and a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. But just like my kids are growing up in a world in which they see all kinds of varieties of animation styles mm-hmm. and addresses and a length of films and yeah. things, you know, things from tiny little YouTube videos that kids their age make all the way up to, you know, like fully produced Hollywood stuff to mm-hmm. interactive films to video games. There's yeah. all kinds of different characters and concepts that they encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Spider-Verse feels like it speaks to that person. Yeah. Like that, that it appeals to and speaks to and connects with Mm-hmm. Um, the modern viewer, yeah. in a way that I, it wasn't clear until I saw the film that a whole host of other films don't. Yeah, um, even and in the concept, audiences are asking for right. It. Yeah. You know, it's also like I mean, you know, I mean, we've talked our, about our love of like multiple protagonist films, mm-hmm. and there's clearly like one protagonist in this film, but yeah. there are arguably a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, like there, if you if you cut it right down the middle, you know, at like the 60th minute or something, there are a lot of people that want a single thing and are trying to get it in yeah. this film, um, and you know, they they are somewhat extras for Miles' story, but they're there for so much of the film that. It's also their story, mm-hmm. and we also care about their stories, and they're right. also trying to get things in the same way that Miles is. Yeah, I mean, I think I found myself surprised, which I don't think happens in animation very much, by the Peter B. Parker character when they are all in, like, Spider-Man um, server disguise. And yeah. He runs into the alternate universe MJ. Yeah. And just, like, in that exchange, how much I sort of learned about him and where yeah. he was at. Um, like surprised me. I was like, "Oh, this is a deeper character, and he's not just here to be the sort of like wise, unwise trainer for yeah um, for Miles. Like he has his own story arc." That he's and what a have. really interesting way to tell and not tell his story, and for him to mm-hmm. characterize and not characterize <laughs> yeah. himself. You know, uh-huh. I mean, um, you know, and, and, and it's a really like this. I mean, mistaken identity is classic. <laughs> As stories go, right, right. yeah, yeah. But it was just like a refreshing inclusion, so too, yeah. yeah. And I think what you're saying is really strong uh, this year, especially too, because uh, in the final numbers, like Black Panther is the most popular, made the most money um, of 2018 mm-hmm. um, as we're going out of that year, and so clearly there is audience for films that are not just sort of whitewashed, homogenized, what we normally get with these sort of white heroes. And I think this really proves that not only is Miles um, multicultural in who he is, but Mm -hmm. I think the film, like you said, is conveying all these different perspectives and styles that would relate to lots of different people. 
and, and I think that's a that's a sort of signal that this sort of thing can be popular. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, I don't know how strong this point is that I'm about mm-hmm. to make, but it, <laughs> I, I, it, it's personally relevant to me, and maybe it'll be relevant to our listeners too. I mean, there's yeah. um, uh, a good friend of mine got me like a uh, you know like a, a motivational slash I guess self help book mm-hmm. about uh, leadership for Christmas. Yeah, um, and it's by an author that I, I won't mention, but um, just because I don't. I want to mention the person's name. Um, but one of the things that my criticism of this particular author, um, you know, who does TED Talks and has sort of like a very public presence, is mm-hmm. that um, all this author's discussion about leadership and courage and all the other concepts that this author talks about it is devoid of discussions of class or race mm-hmm. or any of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for that reason, I, I, it's almost of no use to me because mm-hmm. um, it's like, how do I even like I am I encounter those things like in this town of Madison all the time. Yeah. And I see it and I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. If it's not part of what I'm doing in my own personal growth, I like the, I I it's, it's of all, I it just none of it sticks. It's totally yeah. useless to me essentially. Yeah. Um and I think that there's a sense that like and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but like mm-hmm. Miles's character um I mean, in and of himself, mm-hmm. in, because of, of the race of the character and the race of his family and the situation in which they live, like, he lives in the world in which there is the complex problems of the modern world. Yeah. In the way that if you look at the other white Peter Parkers that have existed in other films, mm-hmm. they can choose or not choose to acknowledge the existence of those things, right. but his character doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, he could. I mean, he, I mean, there's a way in which, you know, Miles Morales could be essentially just like Peter Parker and live in yeah. a cute little... But he, but he isn't written that way. Mm-hmm. And I, Jason Reynolds doesn't write characters like mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. And they didn't make this film that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he's filled with other interesting black characters. Yeah. You know, and the same way that, like, Black Panther has so many different black characters right um there's just there's and and because i think it goes with my point earlier that one of the reasons why i have trouble identifying with other superheroes is they seem to come out of they're like some (laughs) different version of clark kent in 1954 from good old kansas right you know an aw shucks kind of character Mm -hmm. and that's not my world and because because i don't want my hero in their identity to represent an escape from my world. Mm-hmm. I want my hero to like look at the nuclear missile that is going <laughs> to come and destroy us or the red threat or whatever the insurmountable challenge of our time yeah. and come up with an amazing and powerful solution to that problem or die in the struggle to do so. Right. Um, because that's, that's what I need my heroes to do. Right. And I think the, the sort of message the the direct message they're trying to convey in the film of sort of taking this leap of faith yeah. to step out, um, which is is a variant on the um, with great power comes great responsibility. But I think it's even going with my ten uh, year old is maybe even more powerful yeah. for him as a message that I want him to get is like yeah. yes, it can be hard to do the right thing sometimes. Um, it can maybe be hard to use your um, your prominence uh, in in the world and stuff in the yeah. way that you should, um, but it's and and maybe you'll make mistakes, but at least you should like step yeah. out there and do it. And that's what I would want him to hear. Like, don't hold back. Like, yeah, because of those. things. And I don't know what it was like always in human history, yeah. but I know a a lot of the challenges <laughs> that I face myself 
and a lot of the challenges that I help to try to educate my kids about mm-hmm. are not so much about learning things, mm-hmm. but it's about in a world where you know so much, yeah. um, how do you figure out what the right choice is? Mm-hmm. And, and even if you know what the right choice is, like, how do you have courage <laughs> to do that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that we you know, talked a little bit about on our other podcast about like, I mean, how do white people encourage other white people to be anti-racist you know, or, or to make appropriate choices? You know what right, I mean? Right, like, yeah, yeah. Or, or how are we inadvertently encouraging others? Like, eh, saying like, ah, it's not a big deal. Right. Um, yeah. There's, and I think that that's all, that, that always should be the role of a good story of a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it pulls you and drags you in that direction and helps mm-hmm. you develop you know, like they're, they have a magical sword which grants them courage, right. but you in their story learn how to gain courage yourself. Yeah. Um, and it, it was just so refreshing to see um, a character and a number of characters written around all those different sort of classic but perennial emotional cruxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think overall... Uh, we really love this film. Yeah, I we've both only seen it once, right? True. And so I I'm looking forward to seeing it more. Yeah. Um, and all the little bits that I missed or just want to see more clearly. Um, yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, and I mean just at the at the end here, I mean mm-hmm. it, it's it's probably like in my top three hero superhero films of all time. Hmm. I mean, and I, I what are the other ones? Uh, well, or can you name a couple? Name a couple. I mean, so. Just throw them. Gosh. Um, I mean, so, I mean, it's one, two, three. It's like Unbreakable, the original Iron Man, and then this. Um, un- do, you, do you have any placement for Spider Man movies? Like, do you have any love for the. Oh, oh, oh yeah. It's Spider Man. I mean, Spider Man 2. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and I've watched, I watched the original. I mean, I recently rewatched mm-hmm. Spider Man, Spider Man 2, and Spider Man 3 with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like pretty amazed at how mediocre. Uh, Spider-Man One was, mm. um, and and I used to uh, when I taught film like a little bit at college and high school, mm-hmm. like I um, I taught Spider-Man Two because I loved <laughs> it, and and like and I you know there I, I had clips from it that I would always yeah, use yeah. to do stuff, um, even when I taught like middle school kids, sometimes mm-hmm. I would use it. Um, so I I loved it, and it, it it is about as good as I remember it being. Yeah. But but I'd have seen it fifty sixty Lots times. times yeah. um, and the third one, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this now. Woo. <laughs> And I love that that's their approach essentially in the Spider Verse too. Like, and then there's <laughs> yeah, this thing. So. Like, we don't know what happened there. Right, yeah, yeah. I think I've only uh, seen all of three once. Yeah, in the theater. But uh, I actually saw the. I would agree. The second one is pretty great. Yeah. Um, the the latest one with um, Tom Holland, Homecoming, yeah. Yeah. was actually quite good. I yeah. actually, I we think watched it here the other day. He could be one of the better live action, the best. Yeah. Um, Peter Parker's. Uh, I think the only downside is not that I would want to get the same origin story a third time. Yeah. But it's so tied into the MCU now that it's sort of like a weird like if I was gonna show it to my son who has not seen any of the other MCU films, yeah. like he'd be like, What is going on? Who's this Iron Man doing? Like what? He just like gives him a suit. But overall I think it's like yeah. captures more of the fun of that character. Yeah. Um in those different aspects and it's, it's pretty smart it's pretty yeah. well done but I, don't, I wouldn't say it's my favorite Spider-Man. yeah yeah i mean spider-man i mean like i would only i mean into spider-verse my favorite and then mm-hmm. spider-man 2 is yeah. there is going to be number two there i mean i don't know that i need to include other the things other thing we were recently just watching the first toby Maguire one 
yeah. um, a Sam Raimi with my uh, kids. And I was thinking about how Spider-Man, actually, the character has never meant anything to me. Like, yeah. I read some comics growing up, yeah. but and still now, I don't really have a desire to read Spider-Man comics um, of that character. But I was so surprised how much I enjoyed that Sam Raimi film yeah. um, at the time. And now the, the effects look quite dated in some yeah. of the um, plot points and stuff. Uh, you can really feel it. But uh, at the time, I was just remembering back how impressed I was. Um, how much fun I had with that film. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and it, it uh, so many things you like. What I, I also remember about that time, I mean, mm-hmm. it was like they're making a Spider Man film, mm-hmm. right? And Sam Raimi yeah. is directing it. Right. Kind yeah. of like, you know, I, the first Sam Raimi film I saw was Army of Darkness, which is probably the same for lots of people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I was, you know, because you know, then this was like you know like uh, several years after the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. had been on television mm-hmm. with Bruce Campbell, and like this was when we were st- we were still in our basements, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like yeah. all of us, all the comic centers, book yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. Th- this was this was an age in which like mm-hmm. there were not a lot of things that we obsessed about outside of Star Wars yeah. that could be seen on the big screen. Yeah. You know, cross-applied Dolph Lundgren Punisher slash, <laughs> right. you know, a whole bunch of, you know, like Angley Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so it was fascinating, mm-hmm. you know, that like, like just the mere idea that they would have this and that it would be a superhero film and then it would be decent. Yeah. It, you know, and that, it, and, and not like campy or kitschy or too, mm-hmm. you know, like it had the right tone. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the amazing thing that I look back on is it is very, like, comic booky. Yeah. But he was sort of, like, the perfect person right. at that time to pull off that tone. Right. And, and it was, like, it is a little campy. Right. And it was, but, like, on purpose. Yeah, yeah, and it was over the top at the time. Right. It seems tame now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I, you know, I was, you know, I was, like, utterly flabbergasted when I saw yeah. it. And then, and, and two, and I think two holds up. I two think two is solid. Yeah. And when I saw two, I was, like, Wow. And I love the like they, probably because I don't know if we'll ever talk about Spider Man yeah. movies again, but uh, the moment with Doc Ock in the hospital where he kills the people is so straight out of Evil Dead. Or yeah, Army that is it's like, like absolute. It could be its own like the little people screaming, it's like, like Sam Raimi short film. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just to like um, throw that in a mainstream right. comic book movie is like yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, and he can remember when my oldest son watched. He was like, "Whoa, that was really intense." <laughs> you know, he's like, "Well, scary." Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah, and 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 also like to see because the, the real bright point in Spider-Man Two is Alfred Molina mm-hmm. and the way that he portrays Doc Ock, yeah. who's I mean like, and he he's a great visual take on the guy. It's very mm-hmm. modern. Mm-hmm. He's also like, I mean, it's the, the two or three scenes you get when he's like tutoring tutoring Peter when he's talking about literature with his wife beforehand. Yeah. It's just like an essential amount of characterization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you and like and he's again like he's not evil. Mm-hmm. Like he has motivation, yeah. Right. I mean, like he he, he just wants something and is going a, a terrible way about to get it, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting and complicated character. Yeah. Um, not like a variety of other versions of characters. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the like, probably my this is so like top four superhero films. Um, you know, like The Incredibles. Like The Incredibles is probably mm-hmm. number. You know, like yeah, it, yeah. it's like. Originals, it's like Unbreakable, mm-hmm. the first Iron Man, um, Into the Spider Verse, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. Incredibles, probably the first Avengers, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's a great film, but um, <laughs> we yeah. watch it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, you know, The Incredibles has that, that meta level to their, you know, and even like Syndrome's like, oh, you got me yeah. monologuing again. I mean, like, it's, you yeah. know, like, and it also coins some fantastic dynamics in the, like, the viewership and analysis of, and, and, and the culture of worship, because the mm-hmm. characters in that film who worship superheroes, you know, yeah, and like, yeah. and he also becomes a villain. And so, like, there's all, all that stuff is sort of uh, well done in there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think honestly belongs more alongside the Spider-Verse than other films one because it's animated two because it also has this approach that it it addresses us Mm -hmm. as viewers as people who have viewed a variety of things and have read comic books and watched movies and all that sorts of stuff Mm -hmm. and and one of the things that I also you know one of the last things I'll point out about the Spider-Verse is I always like it when the comic books are in the story yeah. Like Miles Morales right. reads Spider-Man in the story. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that there was a Spider-Man in his world. Right. And so they did have another um, shorthand in the narrative yeah. that they could just be like, well, how do I be Spider-Man? Let me read the comic. And right. This is what he does. Yeah, yeah. So, And, and that does give it um, internal motivation right. for the style, too. So right. That, and, yeah. and I also feel, t- I mean, there, there's some element of like, and and I, I don't know who provides this in a, a comic book enterprise. It's probably someone like Stan Lee, mm-hmm. who like provides age and wisdom for characters. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, and you see this in Watchmen with the Night Owl, mm-hmm. right? Because there's two different there's two different versions of him, two different mm-hmm. iterations of him yeah. that are in there. You know, it also has to do with tutelage. But like the idea that like a, like a human mm-hmm. superhero is not going to last forever. Right. And and like as time goes on, you're eventually going to have to pass down the mantle or the cowl mm-hmm. or the owl ship or whatever right. to someone else, mm-hmm. um, and they get to do that right off the bat, right? Um, in know. thing, you and know, in Spider Verse. So mm-hmm. yeah, so we highly recommend you see it. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, you probably have. Give us any feedback that you have. Glad to hear it. That's yeah. extratextualshow at gmail dot com. Yeah. If you're interested in a really fun Xbox One game, you can play Marvel. Lego Superheroes 2, um, where the comical character of Deadpool has been replaced in this multiple in this alternate universe with a comical Gwenpool, um, <laughs> who is decked out in white and pink, oh. and pops around in various spots, doing crazy things. Very nice. A couple recommendations there for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll talk more next time. Mm-hmm.